Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. Well, it's good to see everyone again. See everyone. Uh, I always say see everyone. Hope to hear from everyone soon. Yes. By the time you're hearing this one, we'll have had... This is our fifth? This is our fifth episode. Yes. Yep. So hopefully we are out there and you are listening and enjoying it. We're trying to build up those socials and get the community going. And it's kind of nice to start seeing some more following happening. And oh, we need to talk about this because it's in our picture. (laughs) What's that? What we're calling our listeners. We thought we were going to maybe do it. So we added it to the picture, but we weren't completely certain. But yes, you are all now our lab rats. Yes, you are. (laughs) Hopefully you're okay with that. Yes. It seemed to go along better goes along than anything else we were thinking of. Yeah. And then we also decided on, we, of course, have been asking for stories the last few episodes, yes. and we're going to start putting those out. Our first one will be in June. We can't wait to share some of your tales, and we're going to call those lab, lab reports. reports. So, I love it. <laughs> it's so different. I know. Yeah. Hopefully, you will go ahead and subscribe to both of those and don't mind them, but we tried to make our rat pretty cute. That's what yeah. he is. <laughs> He's like our little Scooby-Doo sidekick yeah, that's, in the picture. Yep, exactly. <laughs> We don't have a name for him yet, though. No. So down the road, we were actually thinking that you guys can help us name the rat. rat. How's your week been so far? Oh, I'm always so boring. <laughs> no, you're not. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a workaholic yeah. in everything in life. Monday, no, Tuesday decided to grace me with a migraine. So that always takes that always me puts- out of commission for a while. Yeah, that's not a good way to start the week. No. I hate migraines. If you have had migraines, you know, like you suffer the entire day and then the next day you get the after effects, the the residual pain, you know, for me, I always feel like I always use this phrase, like it feels like I was thrown down a flight of stairs the next day because you're tensing your body all day, trying to deal with the pain and and then you're still left with a headache, but it's far more manageable than the migraine. So you're happy about the little headache the next day. Yeah, because you can at least get out of bed. So that was my week. Uh, Mm -hmm. The only exciting thing, I guess, would be it is starting to get nicer. Yes, it's springtime in Colorado. getting to walk and like that's I need that I need that for my soul I did a night walk don't shoot me I swear like hopefully no one does (laughs) (laughs) and I walk at night a lot I I do think that's kind of dangerous I know it is I always have mace and stuff it's just really for me it's sometimes the only time that I get to get away with that you know once she's gone to sleep and she's cared for then I get to get out and I really like where I get to walk by my house it's beautiful I got to go over there with you oh yeah recently actually this last week yeah yeah we have a lake and you know a lot of huge trees and it's you know in the middle of suburbia but it it's still all there because it's kind of an older part of town and I had like a 20 minute conversation with an owl and we were just hooing at each other for a long time. <laughs> I was about to say, what did he have to tell you? <laughs> but I love the night animals too, you know, yeah. the owls, the bats. There's just a lot of cool stuff that you get to see at night. And it's so peaceful. It is. I'm the only one out there. <laughs> we hope. I will never say where I walk. Safety first. <laughs> Safety first. <laughs> and I am protected. Yes. Always. Try me. <laughs> I think anyway. you could take them on. <laughs> So I thought that this would be a cool thing to start doing is if we notice anything local, like true crime worthy, Mm -hmm. then we'd mention it. So when I opened up Facebook today, there was a body found in Aurora. 
So a guy was missing for a little while. A family was looking for him and they couldn't, they hadn't heard from him in like six or eight months. Wow. And they even set up like a Facebook page to try and find him. They got a tip from an anonymous person that said, yeah, he's at so-and-so's house. He's dead in the crawl space and they covered him in cement. Okay, this sounds and, like... <laughs> so the the cops, I guess, got a call from that same tipster, essentially saying the same thing, and then got a call from the family. So they went to this house, and sure enough... He was there in the He was space. there. It's a kind of messed up situation. From what I can tell, they're both... So there's three people involved, two men and a woman. Okay. But the men go back a long time. They were best friends at one point. Were involved in crime together, and... Oh. They stole catalytic converters... That happened to my a, child. Really? Yeah. Oh, they drive such a, a big element thing. and somebody stole. Yeah, they stole their catalytic converter out <sighs> of a parking lot. It's everywhere. It's such a rampant. You have crime to put a right cage now. around your catalytic converter now That's with a lot. Crazy. I guess something happened to where they almost got caught doing that. The girl who's involved, I'll talk about her in a second, but her na- name is Casey Bach. And then okay. the guy who killed Beeman is Leroy. Crawford. The crimes like involve them even being in like some kind of drive by shooting situation that happened. Wow. And when this came out, Leroy Crawford was already in jail for like another like attempted homicide or something. (laughs) He killed him because he got paranoid thinking that his friend Beeman was like rat him out or something not just rat him out but he was actually like working with the police because they both had warrants for their arrest and one thing led to another and he killed his best friend and then his girlfriend or ex-wife came home and he was dead so they decided to hide the body just throw him in the crawl space yep that had to be a really smelly house for a while well, that's why they covered him in cement. Oh, does that keep? I guess so. Okay. I don't know if it actually does, but that's why they did that. Pointer for those hiding a body. <laughs> <laughs> but she, I guess, does some drugs and she became friendly with another mom. Their kids go to school together. Uh-huh. And she had asked this mom to like watch her kids for a while. And the mom could tell that she was kind of on drugs. And mm-hmm. and then I guess just a couple weeks later after like they met, she's mentioned something to this new mom oh yeah like we have a body in my what okay because she was on drugs like (laughs) I don't think I would so you know you know the coroner has quite a job on his hands to just make sure that they can preserve as much as possible because he's in cement they're Mm. trying to get to it so we'll see what happens with that one yeah we'll have to follow that that is my cool stuff how are you how was your week? My week. I've been spending a lot of time researching for the episode today and then for a future episode, but I did get out on mm-hmm. Tuesday night to a concert. Yeah. So one of my favorite bands, I guess I was probably early 20s when I got into them, is Muse. Yep. I was and a teenager. I loved them. I love them. Uh, my emo. I'm, I'm still I'm an still emo. emo. What am I talking about? But <laughs> yeah. I love emo music. I love pop punk music. Like yep. I still am secretly a 15 year old inside. Seriously. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I got to see Muse and I have to say they are one of the best bands I've ever seen live. Oh. Like it was just, you know, song after song, their guitar, their vocals, you know, yeah. Matt Bellamy's the, the lead singer. And then they had just amazing visuals too. Like they nice. changed the set multiple mm-hmm. times and it was just really, really impressive. So they're on tour, I think for the next few months. And I would say everyone should see them if you like Muse. 
I was I was so jealous when she told me she was going. <laughs> oh my gosh, because it was Muse and Evanescence. Oh yeah, and Evanescence opened, yeah. which was another one of my favorite bands when their first album. I don't think it was their first one, but their mainstream one called Fallen. I like belted I mean, out every song on that just album. Driving. Both in their own way unmatched honestly yeah the vocals of of both of those singers I think Evanescence it's Amy Lee like Mm -hmm. her vocal range and voice is just insane insane and and his too so you know what was really lame though is we were I don't have you know I can go to a concert but I can't afford floor seats yet so we bought tickets up in the uh upper level section oh that's right because it was at at, the Pepsi Center yeah it's at the Pepsi Center and so it's a huge arena and we were up in the 300 section and Muse comes on and I'm like, everybody's going to stand up, right? Nobody stood Nobody up. Nobody stood up. And I look oh. around and like, 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 this is pretty lame. But fortunately, there was an empty row in front of us. So we just hopped down a row so we could oh, stand up. Yeah. And we stood up, the three of us. And then there was another couple like two rows down that stood up and it was just weird because we're like standing up and I feel like my like <laughs> ass was right in this girl's so, face right oh. next to me the whole time but I'm like it's a concert I, I paid a lot of money yeah. to be there even to yeah. be in the 300 section everybody who wasn't in the 300 section was standing up right in the whole arena so I, right I guess if you buy up there you're supposed to just sit down I don't oh. know but it was really <laughs> kind of weird so I I have a massive range in music me that too I like totally Oh, I want to play you a song. I wonder if it'll work on here. It's very like ethereal, like all of that deep stuff. Sounds awesome. I'm from outer space. I got Milky Way for blood, evolution in my veins. I'm gone. I've been far away. I'm illuminated. I'll make a move, start a waves. I've been dreaming about flying for a long time. I had a vision from the first day, want a gold sign. Yeah, artificially intelligent way. I, I'm your future That's really cool. And Nico. A Nico. It's I N period I K O. Very cool. Yeah. I love finding new music, especially like through mm-hmm. I, I find a lot through TikTok and yeah. Instagram nowadays. So I had another kind of interesting experience this week, and it was actually the night after the Muse concert. Yeah. I think I had my first lucid dream. Oh yeah, that's right. And I've been waiting to hear it. Yeah, okay. it's really dumb, but it's okay. I Most was, of them are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like able to change it, if right. that makes sense. It was really weird. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I had to write it down because I, I forgot it um, or I would have forgotten it because God knows I have enough going on in my brain. Exactly. But Remember, it, write down your dreams. <laughs> yes. And so I wrote it on that morning because I'm like, what just happened? So I was in this wedding. Okay. This is so bizarre. And it was a wedding of my college roommate. I was in her wedding, but this was like forever ago, but it it was like modern day. So we were the Mm -hmm. ages we are now. And she was getting married. And for whatever reason, the bridesmaids were supposed to be Disney princesses. Oh, who are you supposed to be? (laughs) Ariel? (laughs) No. So I had a Cinderella dress for some reason. Okay. So they brought our dresses. We hadn't seen them ahead of time. And when she brought on our dresses, they were basically think about like what little girls wear to bed that are like princess. Oh, the pajamas. Pajamas. (laughs) 
she gave me mine and it was like kind of indecent like it was too short or whatever and I was Mm -hmm. like okay I can fix this because the wedding was only like an hour away and so then I went into the bathroom to try and make this dress oh you had an actual Cinderella moment I was and I was getting (laughs) tights on and all of this and then I came out of the bathroom and they're like Kendra you're supposed to be in the wedding and I missed the whole wedding oh (laughs) and and at that point (laughs) I remember like being aware like this is so dumb like somehow I pulled the story back and I started it over and rewinded it yeah I helped my friend pick out actual gowns interesting I didn't miss the wedding the second time like it was like I redid the dream in my dream and I was like visually aware that it was a fucked up dream and it needed to be fixed. Interesting. Okay. So I was fixing it yeah. while I was in the dream. And I okay. don't know if that was exactly lucid dreaming, but it was not something I remember ever experiencing before. Do you remember like feeling I'm dreaming and I can fix this? Yes. Okay. That's, like when I went in the bathroom, it was like, that's when I feel like I hit the lucid point, like looking at how ridiculous yeah. I looked. <laughs> I was in this little girl gown. And yeah. I was like, this isn't right. And I've got to make, I just remember thinking I have to make this right. Yeah. So I don't know, but it was, it was interesting. And I thought I would share because it was so vivid when I woke up. It's like, I almost wanted to go back in and like have a conversation. (laughs) I almost wanted to reach out to my friend. She was my college roommate, but I haven't talked to her in years. And it was just weird. I don't know why that would have come up. Maybe it's a sign that you need to. Maybe. Maybe she's getting a divorce. I don't know. She has six kids now. So I don't think that's the case. Well, maybe her, maybe her six kids have a full like wardrobe of Disney princess nightgowns. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you need to ask about Cinderella. So as you can see, I have really deep dreams. <laughs> I do My, actually, but yeah. I have weird, crazy shit. So this is a great segue, actually, because we are going to be talking about the human brain today. Ooh, yay. In a different way. Something that really has always intrigued me. And that's near death experiences. And I'm really excited to hear this because I think I was telling you, like, I don't really have any experiences nor know anybody who who has that I've had a conversation with about. So, yeah, I want to talk about this. Me, too. I have a lot. (laughs) And we've been waiting on this one. You decided this one like this was one of the first ones. Yeah. yeah, When we started talking about doing this podcast is like, you know, every one of us wonders what happens when we die. Yeah. Like, I think that is a question that goes through it's everyone, even possibly the most, the most, the like, main what's question. the purpose of life yep. and what happens after we're not here anymore. And I remember even thinking this because I was six years old when my grandmother passed away mm-hmm. and I vividly remember questioning even that young and my kids, same thing when they were faced with like a family member passing away that's when as a parent, I think usually you have to answer that question for your child. And it's, it's probably the hardest question yeah. I'm sure has your daughter. No, asked. I see. I didn't grow up with grandparents. Um, sadly, mine were no longer here when I was a baby. So I don't know that relationship. I've always been really jealous yeah. of, you know, because my daughter has that. She has a relationship with her grandparents. And that was right. honestly my only goal in my entire life was to make it to a point where I could have a child so that my child knew my mom. A lot of my daughter's family, especially on her father's side, are in older age, you know, and um, a couple are not well. That's going to be a conversation that actually is going to have to happen sooner than we want to have. And we did not raise her with any religion whatsoever. So anything that she does know outside of the random things that I say 
It's just pure curiosity and her deciding, yeah, I'm right. going to believe in that right now and I'll find out answers later. It'll be an interesting one. I mean, I yeah, believe in... So hard. I personally believe that we are energy. We chose to come down here in whatever way and we're living this out and we go somewhere else and we're infinite. So that's what I've chosen to believe in and I don't need all these other rules stacked right. on top of it. But, you know... I'm never going to push anything on my daughter. No. But if she wants something explained to her, then I'll try and do my best. So when I was in my early 20s, I started having really Mm, bad anxiety that turned into a panic disorder, like where I couldn't be alone. I would feel like I was going to die. Literally, like anyone who's had a panic attack. I just had my first two in the last few years before I quit that job. And I thought I was dying. Twice I thought I was having a heart attack and yes. I couldn't breathe and like it felt like I had ropes being tied around like my calves and like it was scary and I was alone. It is. And yeah. In my 20s, I had a two year old child and my husband at the time would go to college at night and I yeah. would be alone. And that's a lot of times when it would hit. And I remember feeling like I was going to die while my child oh, was there. And like so there was scary. just this whole yeah. fear And they would also wake me up in the middle of the night. So that's when I started, I think, looking and questioning because I thought I was going to die. I literally did. And this happened for like five years and and I had all the tests done and I'm healthy. Thankfully, you know, it wasn't anything other than a panic disorder Mm -hmm. and stress and hormones Mm. and all that. But it was when I started reading a lot of books about near-death experience. Uh, It's also when I explored religion. I just wanted to know, like, what happens if I do die? And that's really what I think brought me into near-death experiences. And I mean, I was down the rabbit hole to like three o'clock in the morning reading (laughs) stories and everything like that. So I've had a fascination with this for a long time and I'm much older now than early 20s. I haven't done like full research on it. And so that's why we're getting into it today. And I'm excited. It's such a broad topic. It's kind of like lucid dreaming, right? It is. You can't possibly attempt to cover it and what we're trying to do here so (laughs) no I I can't but I'm going to give like a big overview for those of you who aren't as familiar with it and then give some resources for those who want to look you know further into it so what is the definition of a near-death experience Uh, I will also call these NDEs Mm -hmm. because that's how they're referred to and that's easier and easier (laughs) (laughs) so it's a profound personal experience associated with impending death when it's a positive NDE the experience encompasses a variety of sensations like detachment from the body Mm -hmm. feeling like you're levitating total serenity like everything's going to be fine the experience of absolute dissolution like Mm. you become a light or some kind of other energy okay when it's a negative NDE Experiences may include sensations of anguish, distress. Does not sound fun. Void, uh, devastation, vast emptiness, or even seeing a hellish type landscape. They're intensely vivid. They're usually life transforming for Mm -hmm. the people who experience them. They occur typically when you're under trauma. So medical devices are showing you have no brain activity. Uh, You could be in deep general anesthesia. Or a lot of times these are in cardiac arrest right. type cases. Okay. No awareness or sensory experiences of any kind should be happening during this time, according to medical knowledge. Yeah. And yet these people are coming back once they're saved and, and telling these vivid experiences. It's so crazy. It's really crazy. I'm sorry, but that just right there argues something. Everything is there. beyond. Causes of NDEs are not fully known. 
there are many medical and psychological explanations that have been offered, but none that have like been definitive to say, this is why you're experiencing this. Because if they're going at it through a brain way, it's the last frontier, you, you right. know, you know, and so we're never going to ever know because a lot of this is beyond exactly our bodies. If it's scientific, then the brain only stays live. What, what do they say? 20 seconds. Um, I I'm talking some, about yeah. decapitation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah. heard that recently. People don't come back from decapitation, no, so we don't that. have any of I'm just <laughs> talking if we're talking about science. Yes. Yeah. It like lives for like a certain amount of time after. After your heart stops, your brain yeah. does keep going for, I think it's okay. you know, 20 to 30 seconds. Some statistics about near-death experiences. In 2005, they did a, a research study and 95% of the world cultures are known to have some mention of NDE. So this isn't something, it's cross-cultural, it's cross the whole world it's, it's part being of being thing. a human being right. the percentage is 10 to 20 percent of people who have come close to death will experience an nde in the u.s alone an estimated nine million people have reported an nde and that's according to a 2011 study it's common yeah enough for people to talk about and yet there are people who will think that it's made up or it's a hallucination or things like that but I'm going to hopefully convince people I mean, that there is something there to these. If we're dreaming, why is that so hard to believe? Because the brain stopped, I guess. So here's what we do know. We know that NDEs have been recorded since the dawn of time, since mm -hmm. ancient times. The oldest known medical report of a near-death experience was written in France. I don't know why, but just right now, I thought of that girl. <laughs> it's like Miss America, because I just saw her. He's like, France. 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 <laughs> I can't even do it right <laughs> With that girl on SNL, yeah, I think did it, and it was really it. funny. Oh my gosh! Anyway, that's. I'm sorry, France. I'm <laughs> not going to try and do French every time I just hear that. <laughs> and I have French on my body. I love France. Okay, but love, now every yeah. time I hear the word, it's just being screamed in my ear by that girl. <laughs> So the first time it was documented was an 18th century French military doctor, and he wrote a book about it, and it was called, I'm not going to say this in French, but it may, basically it wasn't called near-death experience, it was called experience of imminent death, mm. um, and it was proposed by him, and it was based on stories from mountain climbers. Those that would fall would Ooh. have a panoramic view of their life, Ooh. and it was happening so much that he was like, I want to study this from a medical perspective, and he wrote a book about it. I mean, think about it, falling to your, falling to your death. And having a whole life review. Well, they didn't die. They, they but survived. They're, but they're yeah. falling to their and death. They you have had, like two seconds to get shit mm -hmm. straight, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. That's almost like rushing you into an, an NDE. Exactly. And interestingly enough, another study was in 1892, and it was also from observations of workers falling from mm. scaffolds mm. because think back then they were building the big mm -hmm. buildings and they were just on these little wooden beams. So scary. Um, also from war soldiers. So soldiers who had or were succumbing to their injuries and they had near death experience. And this was the first time the phenomenon was described as a clinical syndrome. 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 So they hadn't quite said it was <laughs> definitively something, but they were like, that just this sounds is happening weird. often enough. A syndrome. Yeah. Sorry. And then, because we always like to bring up the Mormons, um, in the early Yay. 19th century, <laughs> the Church of the Latter-day Saints actually did a private study Oh, because they wanted to learn more about this near-death phenomenon. But I didn't find a lot of details on that. No, they're secretive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the term near-death experience was coined by Raymond Moody in 1975, and he's one of the first big scientists in America that really started researching near-death experiences. You know, the 70s. I 70s. swear, we've been talking about the 70s a lot lately. <laughs> we have. That was a time. A lot of things happened Every, in the 70s. Yeah, exactly. He actually wrote this book. He was a med school student and he was working in the ER at the time. And he kept coming into contact with people who had almost died and they were able to resuscitate. And he kept hearing so many stories from these people. And he was like, this is so common. I need to understand what's happening. We have so so much reference to all of this now through movies. And it's not Mm -hmm. hard to imagine what's happening. And we've been talking about it forever. (laughs) I know. But that's Um, so weird that it was just most recently, like, truly started to get to be studied in the 70s. Yeah. And there I'll go into this more. There is also a very famous doctor. His name is Bruce Grayson, and he has continued on with Moody's work over the years. And it's still being done today. Anytime you have a close brush with death, it reminds everyone of the fragility of life Mm -hmm. and what we know, what we know. A lot of people who experience near-death experiences have a really hard time coming back to normal life. It feels very intense when they come back from it, and it takes them a while. Some of them have post-traumatic stress, even if it's positive, mm-hmm. just because yeah. they don't know how they fit back into the regular like material world. I mean, is it similar to like having a spiritual awakening or like I think going on drugs similar. and stuff, and it's just hard to deal with the mundane day-to-day. So the difference is, and a lot of people will say that you can have a similar, you know, what seems like a near-death experience on psychedelics. Okay. The difference between like a psychedelic trip or even a spiritual awakening is that they are able to recall it in a much more detailed fashion than people who have had a trip or spiritual awakening yeah, it seems more vivid and yeah that makes sense and it lasts decades like they have interviewed people years and years after and the details never that's change that's true because an so, awakening is not like just to touch that for a second for me it was like waking up one day and everything was different everything was much more vivid just everything right. changed but it's not something that I could bottle up and keep forever everything ends up losing its sparkle still because Mm -hmm. you have it's something you got to work at but I remember just this drastic drastic change but it's not this what it sounds like with an NDE where it's this entire experience that they just actually are constantly living with right so what actually happens during a near-death experience based on studies and stories collected from across countries and culture it has been found that in general the same basic elements occur all over the world So while near-death experiences, interpretations can be influenced by your religious, your social, or your cultural background, Mm -hmm. the core elements appear to be universal. In fact, some of these core elements have even been reported by children, and children are at an age that they should not be influenced by culture or religion. Yeah, like we were talking about dreaming. So that kind of proves that this is something that transcends those borders. Right. So NDEs have been with us all times and all cultures and all people, young and old, devout and skeptical. It reminds us that although people on earth may be different in many ways, we all share in the same spiritual experience. It's amazing to think that no matter what country we may call home here on earth, perhaps our real home is in the unearthly realm consistently described by near-death experiencers around the world. 
Because near-death experiences transcend religious affiliation and culture, one of the other researchers, his name is Kenneth Ring, he likes to call NDEs the universal donor. So what comes along with an NDE and how do they classify what is truly a near-death experience? And not all of these occur in every time, but it's something that they know is associated with near-death experiences no matter what. So one of those is a feeling you feel very comfortable and free of pain. And many times you have a sensation. Number two, you have a sensation of leaving your body. You're sometimes able to see your physical body below while floating above it. So an example of a woman who had heart failure and she clinically died. She said, I rose up and I was a few feet up looking down on my body. I was there with people working on me, trying to Mm -hmm. save me. She said, I had no fear. I had no pain. She's like, I just felt peaceful And I had a perfect sense of contentment while I watched. Oh, that's good. (laughs) So I like that, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, if if this is going to happen, it's like... So number three is your mind is functioning more clearly and more rapidly than usual. So I have an example here, a man who passed away medically. Okay. So he was in an operating table being worked on. And he said, all of a sudden, he came out of his body and he said his brain felt like it was just like working faster than ever Mm. and so he decided to test it because he like felt like he was this sensory computer or whatever and he was like I decided to test it and he's like I just arbitrarily chose eighth grade all of a sudden everything from eighth grade and every single detail he's like the sharpness the vividness of these memories he said they just overwhelmed him like he could remember in this short amount of time, every single thing that happened to him that year in eighth grade. And he was just like, I don't understand how I could have pulled all of this memories. He would never have known any other time. So you're dying on a surgery table <laughs> and you go to and you decide to go to eighth grade. <laughs> I thought that was funny, too. That's why I put it in okay. here. Um, he's like, hmm, I can remember anything. He's like, I've practiced this and 10 I times and this time I went to eighth grade. <laughs> It's oh funny boy. how your mind, yeah. I guess. The dying I mean, brain maybe works. it was just some strange. He's realizing, oh crap, maybe I'm dying right now. Oh, you're supposed to have like your life flash before your eyes, and the first thing that came to mind was eighth grade, and he just got flooded with details. I think that's basically. See, and then he didn't then get argue. to keep going because yeah. <laughs> he was brought back to life. And remember, a lot of these near death experiences are happening in the matter of seconds. Yeah, that's crazy. So the other big one, and I think all of us have heard this, is a sensation of being drawn into a tunnel or darkness. One lady said she clearly remembers a feeling that she was in a tunnel and she was floating towards a light that kept getting larger the closer she got to the end of the tunnel. However, she said she felt very relaxed and she remembers becoming increasingly annoyed because the nurse kept calling out to her like, come back. And she's like, I just want to float into this beautiful light. But she listened to the nurse and got pulled back out of the tunnel. But she was fully going out. And we've seen tons of that represented in movies and everything. I think this is the most common. Uh, You think of the tunnel with the light at the end, which is actually number five, is a brilliant light sometimes at the end of the tunnel. I just keep thinking of Grey's Anatomy. Yes. Or what's that one? Mm, Doctor Strange. (laughs) I think I've seen that one. You haven't seen Doctor Strange? Uh, Marvel. You're not a Marvel person? <laughs> I don't watch Marvel. I mean, I wasn't really either until a couple of years ago. And then it was like COVID. And I was like, well, I'm going to watch all the Marvel. All of them. <laughs> I think Marvel a lot movies. of people did that. <laughs> number five was a brilliant light. And then number six, a sense of overwhelming peace, well-being, or absolute unconditional love. I like that. Yeah. An example from another woman. She said, 
she went through the tunnel and when she got to the end, she said, everybody there was made of light. I was also made of light. Mm. And all she could feel, she said, the light communicated with love. Love came from the grass. Love came from the birds. Love came from the trees. Gamma. So they were all just (laughs) one happy. Another lady said, I was thrust outside of my body and it was where I was looking over my body. I could tell that it was dying and in a state of trauma. But I became further aware of what was happening around my body and of my awareness capacity. And she found herself in a field and she said, I looked at the grass. I could tell it was grass, but there was an element present that had been missing when I was in my physical existence. And she said that element was love. Mm. She said the grass was me and I was the grass. Oh, see, look at that shit. (laughs) And she said, I looked at the trees and they were aware of me. And she said they were just exuding love and acceptance for who I was. A freaking tree. And go ground your feet in the grass. I have to say, in doing this research, it's made me look very differently at like my house plants and trees and animals. That's why I have to go walking. Once you've had an awakening, everything is different. And I mean, there's a reason you feel better out in nature. Yeah, because they love us. The grass and the trees, the animals and the trees, and as hokey as that sounds, like I saw this and I read probably. Over a hundred stories. It's not hokey. It's beautiful. It's woo. <laughs> it's woo. <laughs> We're going to get more and more woo. It, it is pretty crazy. Number seven is a sense of having access to unlimited knowledge. Mm-hmm. Or number eight, you get a preview of future events yet to come. So there was one man who had an NDE and he said, I understood the origin of the cosmos. He said, I saw evolution. He saw how everything and everyone evolves and develops together. He said he knew and understood all about mathematics, electronics, physics, DNA, atoms. So I need to go have an NDE. But not everybody gets this. This is happened to be him. Dang it. <laughs> he said, I saw where evolution is headed and what its ultimate goal is. And I realized that. Did he the, tell anybody? He, he, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he didn't tell it. But he said, I realized that this grand scheme, not. <laughs> Grand scheme. <laughs> this grand scheme not only involves me, but everything and everybody, every human being, every soul, every animal, every cell, every blade of grass, the earth, yeah. and every other planet, the wow. universe, the cosmos, the light. He said everything is connected and everything is one. I want to come back from that one. That well, sounds like a pretty yeah. cool. I, I don't know how would you. <sighs> I don't know how he that kind of after that. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how you could experience that and then it be capable to be in a human body after that. I think that's why a lot of people struggle. Wouldn't you just combust? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Just blow up. (laughs) So another one, I really liked this story. This woman passed away and she said, I saw a tiny flower growing out of the crack in the sidewalk and she bent down and she cupped the flower And she gave it her full unconditional love and attention. And she realized as she was doing this that it was actually a story from her life review. And she realized in that moment going through her life review that this was the number one most important thing she'd ever done in her life. The reason was because it was the moment she expressed her love in the greatest and purest and unconditional manner. To the flower in the the sidewalk. sidewalk. And she was probably like, a little girl probably she just bent yeah. down but she loved but that flower so much and told it. yeah and she was in her 30s when she had her nde 
that's what it comes down to is L-O-V-E. It really is. It really is. Every single L-O-V-E. one of these. I mean, outside of the negative ones, which we'll go to, but well, maybe all of the that, positive I ones. I mean, it is a review, right? Yes. So maybe for some people, they're meant to, I don't know, do something else with their life or like accomplish something else. And like they're going down the wrong path and some higher, like that's the only way to turn them around, turn them around and, you know. So life review is another characteristic. So that's number nine is that you have a life review or you recall important events in the past. So eighth grade was important. (laughs) (laughs) I had another one. This guy said many events in my life I experienced, but not from how I remembered them. So when he was having his life review, he didn't see it from his memories. He said he actually saw it from the perspective of the people, the animals and the environment and how they experienced it and what his actions were. So he said the times he'd made others happy, he felt them be happy. But if Mm. he made someone sad, he felt their sadness. Mm. And he said he came back realizing it's apparent that every single word, thought, action affects everything around us. And he said the entire universe. He's like, we need to focus on trees, plants, and animals. Seriously. I can't tell you how many stories I read about this. And think of the, like, this makes me sad about the things that we do to the earth. When we were coming here today, I'm like, Kendra, I have nothing to talk about. I had a migraine, but then I was like, you know what, but I wouldn't want to walk. But no one wants to hear that I talked to an owl for two hours or 20 minutes. You're going to see that (laughs) in your life review. That's the thing, though. Those are the times when I am just one with everything on my walks. And you'll you'll realize that I love everything everything every bug I don't know people can't stand me sometimes like I save everything yeah (laughs) like I used to be scared of spiders when I was younger and I mean yeah sometimes you see one they'll still give me the heebie-jeebies but I save them all if they're in my space and I don't want to share my space with them over the last decade that I just decided they're just they're just living sweet little things have you ever seen a picture of a spider zoomed in like big oh, they're time. cute they have little smiles especially the jumping spiders what i'm getting is when we have our life review we'll see the spiders we saved and we'll feel good and what about and all the ones i did bad things to before we're that. gonna feel that too, well I, potentially uh yeah i don't know if i can be forgiven for those but i grew up where you just smash things i did too and so it took me becoming an adult and being like that's really Why? mean. And now if a bug accidentally gets killed by me somehow, I it feel bad. affects me. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like for half the day. I have a really hard time accepting mosquitoes. So I'll work on it. <laughs> they have a purpose in life too. <laughs> I was reviews. trying to have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that I read about the life review came down to even though you would feel the bad things that you had done, the people who had the positive would still feel embraced by the light around them. And it wasn't done in a judgmental way. So I think, you know, growing up in Christian theology, a lot of times it was like, you will have a life review. I mean, that was taught to me growing up, but it sounded like scary. Like they're going to point out every time you sin. Seriously. And you're going to feel really bad. And from near-death experiences, it's not like that. It It's more like, this is what happened. This is where you did good. This is where you could have done better. And look how you made this person feel. And you're like, oh, that's so sad. I don't want to make someone feel that way. But they felt embraced and loved by yeah. the pe- whoever was reviewing it with them. Right which is mostly described as beings of light. I love these beings of light. 
So the final common theme that is seen in near-death experiences is encounters with deceased loved ones. Mm -hmm. Or you might also see other beings that could be identified as religious figures. This is where the cultural aspects could come in. So, you know, in America, most people are Christian. So a lot of near-death experiences, they would say that they saw Jesus. Okay. Or God-like figures or angels or things like that. Yeah. In other cultures, they might see things that are more relevant to their religion. And what they've seen, I'm assuming. So that would argue some things like, you know, people always have their own image of what Jesus looked like. True. And that's argued. So what you see then is influenced your religious background or whatever. What they consider God or a Jesus-like creature, it's not the long flowing, you know, white man that we've all come accustomed to. If you grow up in the Christian religion, it's a being of light, but they feel like it's Jesus. That's how they describe it. It's a knowing. Exactly. Okay. It's not that they see something that they've been told. I was about to argue with the other side now. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess, yeah, I should put it that way. They would describe that that person was God or Jesus or whoever, you know, they culturally believe in. It was a knowing. Because there was a being talking to them. Okay. They assume it was Jesus or or God. Uh, So I have an example here. So this woman said, during my near-death experience, she had gone through cardiac arrest. She said, I saw both my dead grandmother and a man who looked at me lovingly, but whom I didn't know. Oh, another ancestor. Over 10 years later, my mother confided to me on her deathbed that I had been born from an affair. Oh, My biological father was a Jewish man who'd been deported and killed in World War II. My mother showed me a photo. The unfamiliar man I had seen more than 10 years earlier during my near-death experience turned out to be my father. I thought that was really sweet. I know. Yeah. And this is common in children, especially who have gone through NDEs. They come back and describe seeing adults that they did not know. Yeah. The other one that I love in a lot of these stories is they're greeted by their pets from yeah, childhood. Yeah, I'm greeted by my doggy and my kitty and, and lucid dreaming, you know. The other thing when I was reading, they say with children having near-death experiences, it is very common for them to be greeted by animals and not necessarily animals they know. Like it could be little Just, bunnies. It's so it could much be, more It's something com- to invite comfort. them. I feel like yeah. when we pass over... The other side knows what we need. And that's why all of these experiences are so custom right. to the person experiencing it. Yeah. So now that we've talked about all of the light and love and the positive experiences, we have to go to the darker side. So Can't have light without dark. That's true. So while the majority of near-death experiences reported over the past 40-something years have been described as pleasant, there is also the other side of it. Almost unnoticed in all of the talk about the euphoria and everything in NDEs, there are some that are not as affirming and some that are actually deeply disturbing. Few people that have negative NDEs are as forthcoming about the events. They don't want to share it openly as those who come back from a positive near-death experience. Well, they don't want to relive it. No, it's traumatic. Typically when they come back, somebody from an NDE that was positive when they're still in the hospital, they want to tell everybody about it. Others will not. Uh, and, and so there's been conversations about how to, you know, doctors and nurses help people through the negative NDEs because they come back and they're more withdrawn, right? almost depressed, or they feel stressed out. And shouldn't it. that be even more proof then 
I think so. You know, that these actually exist, that these exist, Mm -hmm. that they don't even want to talk about it. What they they experienced. Distressing in DEs, they lack two common elements that we see in the pleasant side. So they don't have a positive emotional tone and they don't come back with. So most people, I haven't got into the after effects yet, but most people, when they come back from a positive near death experience, they lose their fear of death. People coming back from distressing NDEs are actually more afraid of death. There's no way to predict who will have a negative versus positive NDE. So there's no evidence that supports the conventional assumption would be that so-called good people would have positive NDEs and so-called bad people would have distressing ones. But we've seen people who are saints, you know, in life mm-hmm. that have done everything right will have a disturbing quote, NDE. Quote, 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 unquote, done and, everything right. But then there's been <laughs> felons, you know, that are convicted of doing horrible acts that have had near-death experiences that are positive. Depending on what you believe in, like some would say, no, you're going to go to hell or whatnot. Right. But maybe that is just a way for the universe to say, no, we accept absolutely everyone and everything, but you need to see what you've done and now what you can do. So maybe they get to have the positive one. It's how they change their life around. And maybe the negative only occurs for those who the universe knows they're sending back. So there's three types of negative near-death experiences that have been recorded. And the first one is the inverse They have the same features usually reported in other near-death experiences. The tunnel, the light, the things that people feel are very positive. In a negative NDE, you feel inversely. So the tunnel feels like you're suffocating. The Mm. light feels negative. They don't feel love during their life review. So they're having a life review and they're feeling judged. So they're having the same phenomenon happening during their NDE. They're just having different feelings. It's a nightmare. Right. So a woman who was in childbirth went into a near-death experience. Don't give her a negative one. She's literally pushing out a fucking baby. That's what's so fucked up. I don't know. She said she felt her spirit separate from her body and she flew into space at a tremendous speed And she saw a small ball of light rushing towards her. And she said it became bigger and bigger as it came towards her. And she realized it was going to crash into her. And it gave her a very terrified feeling. She said that she saw the blinding white light come right to her. And she felt like it was going to engulf her Mm. and take her somewhere. And then she came back to life. But it was not a positive. And then she had to look at that precious baby. baby. Oh, my gosh. And then another woman, she collapsed from hyperthermia and she said she went through a life review and while watching her life and re-experiencing it, she was filled with a deep, deep sadness. And when she came back, she felt like she was in a great deal of depression from watching her life review. Like, what did she do? We don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't tell me that. Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing or... Or maybe she needed to see that there was a darker side to things. Maybe off balance. Never know. She's back here trying it again. You know, that's the good thing is that they get to try it over. So the Texas. Texas. The second. (laughs) (laughs) I am bringing it back. (laughs) It's my Texas. (laughs) It is. Always. The second type of negative near-death experience is called the void. So this one, you encounter a perceived emptiness. Um, It often feels like a devastating scenario of being alone, isolated, or sometimes even annihilation of who you are. 
I don't like that one at all. So I have a few examples of this. So the guy says, I remembered I was in a completely dark, empty and silent void. I had no body. That is, I was not aware of having any physical body and I had no thoughts, but I was conscious. I was just hanging there in the void. There was no space or time whatsoever. When thinking of it afterwards, there could have passed hours or days. I could not tell. I don't know why, but that makes me think of like the universe is like, we don't need you for a while. Just hang out. (laughs) Turning you off. (laughs) Another guy, this was a man, he was attacked by a hitchhiker and like stabbed and he was dying and had a near death experience. And he said, I felt myself rise out of my body. I suddenly was surrounded by total blackness. I was floating in nothing but black space. No up, no down, no left, no right. It seemed like an eternity went by. I fully lived it in every moment in misery. I was only allowed to sit there and think and reflect. Ugh. I mean, yeah, these are creepy I, to me. You know, I just said it seems like, well, the universe is just not they're not going to use you for a minute. Like, that's how I think about it. They're like, what crap? We weren't ready for him. Should he die? Should he not die? Yeah, he's like in limbo. Let's go talk to the management for a minute. And he's just left there with no concept of time. uh, uh, There was a glitch. (laughs) Because there should be no concept of time because time is not real, right? So it's his perceived awareness of being in that darkness. It may have only been for one moment. So then the third type, and this is probably the most, I guess, what? most people would fear of death, especially if you were raised in a Christian hell, hell. So this is the hellish experience. So overtly hellish experiences are the least common type. So we don't hear these as often, but they are out there. This is where someone may be confronted by lost souls or spirits, or they may be purged into the depths of the earth. They may see gates of fire, or they may be tortured by demon like creatures. A woman, she said she was being escorted through a frighteningly desolate landscape and she saw a group of wandering spirits. She said they looked lost and like they were in pain, but the person guiding her through said she was not allowed to help them and to just disregard them. Oh, see, this is where I get so confused in the things that I, at this current moment, choose to believe in. Okay. If I'm believing that we are these energy bodies and we're infinite. Right. And we came down here and this is just an experiment of sorts and we have multiple lives and we're doing this again and again and again and again. It's not even like some sort of test. I don't know. Like I don't know anything. We don't know. It seems weird though, because if you're going to argue that we have multiple lives, why then would any of us be damned and wandering to wander? Are they waiting for their next life? Like, where's the separation? Because outside of this, it's all love. That's what the positive says. So like where that's where I argue, because I have for me, I have experience in both with both of those things, spirits and negative entities and other. So where do they come from? I know. Oh, yeah, yeah so much how do i talk about spirituality in the way that i think about it but then also believe in ghosts right because to me they they conflict with each other they do if you so, want to believe yeah it's all light and love afterwards but we don't have to know everything that's just we don't us, like we sitting will. here trying to make sense of everything but there has to be some rhyme or reason to it all i have one other story that's creepy 
and then we can talk more about happy stuff. This was a man and he said he was thrust down into the depths of the earth, essentially. And he said, when I reached the bottom, it resembled the entrance to a cave with what looked like webs hanging everywhere. I heard cries, wails, moans, and gnashing of teeth. I saw these beings that resembled humans with the shape of a head and body, but they were ugly and grotesque. They were frightening and sounded like they were tormented in agony. That sounds a lot like what's in the Bible. Right. I don't know. Although there are these negative NDEs, what we do see is most people coming out of those react in one of three ways. One of those is turnaround. That's the most common is they come back and they said, I needed to see that. It's interpreted as like a warning about something that they're doing wrong and they feel like they need to turn their life around. What this does for most people coming back from the negative is that they will move towards a religious community. So this is very interesting. Yeah, I find that interesting. For people who have positive near-death experiences, most of them become less religious. Well, yeah, sure, because they become more spiritual. Because everything that they've now learned in that little moment is so much more expanded than the rules and everything that are being placed upon them in a religion. So people who have positive near-death experiences move away from religious dogma and they're like, no, everyone's accepted religions, a farce. This is just light love, love all the animals. People who have negative- (laughs) Love all the animals, okay? And the grass and those trees. And then- And the clouds. And the negative NDEs, it's like they're looking for a way to make sense of it and they will turn towards that more dogmatic religious that tells them if you do a b c you will not be tormented some kind of redemption so maybe they have to go through some structured way of what they feel is being good or doing the right things but then maybe they'll then have another epiphany maybe they can move past that and go into the more expanded vision beyond religion They have a fear of the afterlife. They believe that hell exists. If hell exists, it's just a moment. That's how I'm going to see it. (laughs) You can't stay there forever. It's not fair. I mean, right. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of bad people on here. Right. But that's them in this lifetime. Maybe there's someone completely different in another lifetime. What's so sad is sometimes. redemption status? Right. We don't know. Is it just their souls evolving through all the different stages? That's essentially the theory, right? We come right. down here again and again and again until until, we better and until better. we're and I don't think every single person or every single life has the exact same goal of what they need to achieve before they're done coming down here for lives or maybe they take a break for two millennia or whatever and they're like, ah, eh, send me back down again. <laughs> so another after effect of negative near-death experiences, uh, some of them will use something they call reductionism. So they try to just discount it and say, oh, it was only a nightmare. It's it's almost like a defense tactic because that's how they can rationalize it in their mind. That allows them to say, this didn't mean that much. It was just my brain I shutting down. I was going down. through a scary yeah. moment. I was about to exactly. die. It was all They'll be like, anxiety. oh, it was the anesthesia. Yeah. And so then they don't have to accept what happened to them. I might be, I might do that. I might do that. (laughs) Might be easier. The other group, they call them the long haul. These are the people who are like, what did I do to deserve this? They're dissecting it. They're kind of like, they become nihilists in a way. 
They're like, why does it matter? You know, I wasn't that bad of a person. You know, you think of someone who had a negative NDE and they're like, I didn't kill anybody. I was just a normal person doing the same thing that everybody else does. Why was I subjected to hell? You know, what does it matter? I don't need to go to church. I don't need to do good. I don't need to do bad. It doesn't matter. We're all going to end up in hell kind of. Um, it's almost okay. like a, so almost a spiral, a downward spiral. Like this is the good part. Right. This group is the one that feels haunted by their NDE. They are the ones that end up in a lot of therapy. They can't sleep. They ask for medications. They usually reject the idea of religion. They reject God. So they just feel hopeless. And that would be a really sad way to take the NDE. So now that we've talked about what happens during a near-death experience, whether it's positive or negative, I now want to talk about the evidence that these actually happen because similar to people coming back and saying they were abducted by aliens or they saw Bigfoot or they Mm -hmm. saw a ghost. There are always the skeptics. Yeah. And there are a lot of skeptics around near death experiences. Once again, people think that perhaps it was a hallucination or a dream or people are just making it up for attention. Like those are the kinds of naysayers that are out there for near death experiences as well. We're so easy to write people off. It is so sad how quickly we will dismiss people and call them crazy. Even if you've had a similar experience, you are quick to dismiss someone having just a similar experience to you because in a weird way, you feel like that was set aside for you alone. Yeah. And so you'll you'll discredit someone else for experiencing the same thing. And I'm, I'm saying that because I've done that. We all have, you know, I've, I've had a moment where I was like, wow, that was a really, really special thing for me. And then someone this that I was maybe, just, yeah, this person that I was maybe in conflict also had a special thing like that. And I was confused. I'm like, well, what is this person who's hurt me and get this special <laughs> thing too? Right. And I've had a lot to go through and like grow through in my life. Yes. And, you know, we are quick to discredit people, but everybody deserves compassion and deserves to be heard. Don't dismiss people. Listen to their stories. So I want to go through how we look for evidence to prove that near-death experiences have to be real. In 1998, there was a website called the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation that was established. And I actually visited this. I got a lot of stories from here. But what it did is N-D-E-R-F website. Nadurf. Nadurf. I keep thinking Nerf guns every time I look at it. I know. That's what I thought too. I had to spell it out in my head. So this was established as a public service. It was the first time that a large scale study across the world was started out so that we could collect stories. This is a forum where anyone can send in stories. Right now, There are over 5,400 accounts published to their website. They review these and they use multiple lines of evidence, which is what I want to go through now to come to the conclusion that this was a real experience. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that they did during their research is they asked over 1,100 experiencers of near death, how do you feel currently about the reality of your experience? So Typically, like when you ask someone who's been on like a drug trip or something like that, they Mm -hmm. know that it wasn't real. Like they know that it was while they were in this drug induced state or whatever. With those who have had near death experiences out of the 1100 people they interviewed, 96 percent of them said this experience was definitely real. Like it was realer than real. And we'll go into that. Like this was not a dream. 
I've had dreams. I've had vivid dreams. I've had psychedelic trips. This is something completely different. Right. Stop also, making this seem like it's a goal. <laughs> I know. I want to die. No. <laughs> People included in this survey have jobs such as doctors. Yeah. There's a neuroscientist that had a near-death experience. There's children, nurses, attorneys, scientists. Like these aren't just It doesn't matter quacks. who you are. Like it has gone across all people I, and there's zero things with me that would question this. I haven't either. I've always been fascinated with anyone who says that they've had a near death experience. I want to hear about it. I don't yeah. want to judge. I want to know what they experience because it's like a, a view into the afterlife. Uh, maybe the only arguing piece is, you know, there are very creative people who may have just vivid dreams like I do. Right. Who could write a story that's yes profound enough that may n- not be true. And because we're not there and there's no way to measure. But most well, of these. But, but and what? These are people who have been, okay, most of them would have proof that showed they were in the hospital or something like that. Okay. There's been over 50 years of investigation into near-death experiences at this point, and there's a lot more to be done, but there is nothing that can adequately explain, based on how our physical brain functions, why a near-death experience happens. Mm -hmm. There have been over 20 different explanations And none of them have been accepted as like the theory or the reason because there's always holes in it. Like there's no definitive way to describe why NDEs happen because they happen across so many different types of people, different types of scenarios. So that's just us trying to box something and explain something that is unexplainable. So those who believe that physical brain function explains everything that happens in our lives they're the ones that struggle with this the most. Of course. So let's jump into what the NDERF looks for. Nderf. The nderf. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, if someone is, they're having a lucid organized experience while they are unconscious, comatose, or clinically dead. Okay. So how can they show that? So when these occur at a time when the person is so physically compromised, from a medical perspective and from logic, it should not be possible for them to report these experiences as clear and logically structured as they are able to. Especially right away. Right. And why it's the usually heck, right when they wake up from why it. the heck would they, after almost dying, be like, oh, <laughs> real quick, I just made up this whole thing real right. fast. Like, uh-huh. Sorry. It, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. The other thing is experiencers coming back from near death will actually feel like they were at a level of consciousness they've never experienced before. So they call it a supernormal consciousness. And so they surveyed all of these ND, they call them NDEers. Nadurs. <laughs> all of them said they felt more consciousness and alertness than normal life okay. when they were experiencing this. So they did try to scientifically study this near-death experiences that occur in cardiac arrest. They found that 10 to 20 seconds following cardiac arrest, the EEG, I think is what they use, the measurements, they find no significant brain electrical activity. And yet that is usually the time that near-death experiences are reported. Typically, if you are in that kind of state, a lot of people will report amnesic experiences. Like think about if you're in a car wreck or something like that. Most people don't remember that. So the fact that these cardiac arrest patients are waking up and remembering this right away doesn't seem to make sense either. And in such vivid detail, you have no brain waves. 
Number two, that they look for evidence of someone going to a location that is not where their physical body was while unconscious. And these, to me, are some of the most interesting stories. As we discussed earlier, a common characteristic of an NDE is you come out of your body. What's most intriguing is that when they come out of their body, they are able to hear conversations or relay things that were happening that there's no way they would have known. And so I want to give an example. So I talked about Dr. Bruce Grayson earlier. He was in the middle of doing his residency and he had a suicide patient come in. Like she had attempted suicide. She had taken a bunch of pills and she was completely unconscious. He was called to work on her or to come check on her while he was eating spaghetti. And when the call came through, it was actually a pager because this was back in the (laughs) 70s. The pager went off. He was eating spaghetti and like it went on his tie. And he was like, oh, shit, I don't have time to change because he's trying to look professional. So he just put a white coat over. He went and checked on the patient. Okay. She was completely unconscious. And they said her roommate is out in the waiting room. And he's like, I'm going to go talk to her roommate because the roommate's the one that brought her in. Oh, she saw the spaghetti sauce. Just wait. Okay, sorry. So he goes out to talk to her roommate and he takes his coat off to go out and talk to her roommate. So, yes, his tie would be there with the spaghetti stain. Right. And he's out there asking her, you know, all the questions, what happened, blah, blah, blah. He goes home for the night and then he comes back the next day and they're like, she's awake. And he goes in to check on her. And exactly what you said She brings it up and she said, I know you. And he was like, I don't know how you would know me. She's like, you were the one talking to my roommate last night in the waiting room. You were wearing a striped tie and it had a big red stain on it. And that was what started (laughs) his, I guess, lifelong passion now to explain the unexplainable. Then he teamed up with Raymond Moody, who I mentioned earlier, and they started this whole study. You know, it's kind of like time stopping and you get to walk around and see everybody. But time is still moving, but you're just outside of it. You're just Harry Potter in the cloak. Kind of. So they did a study because they noticed a lot of these stories coming out. And there was a doctor named Michael Sabam who did a study and investigated a group of patients who had cardiac arrests. Mm -hmm. And so they did a control group of patients who did not have near-death experiences during their cardiac arrests. And then they did ones that did have near-death experiences that included out-of-body experience. They asked these groups to describe their own resuscitation attempts as best they could. Other people doing it. Right. Like, tell me how you got back to this point. Right. Right. And what he found was that the group that had the out-of-body experiences with their near-death were able to more accurately describe exactly what happened, who was working on them, and how they were brought back to life. So I have another really cool story. Okay, okay. So this happened in Hartford, Connecticut, and it was told by a nurse who talked to a resuscitated patient. So the next morning, she said, the patient told me she floated above her body. She was watching us resuscitate her for a short time, and then she felt herself being pulled up through several floors of the hospital. Ooh, She then found herself above the roof and realized she was looking at the skyline of Hartford. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw a red object. It turned out to be a shoe. So the nurse told, she was relating this story to a skeptical resident. So another resident. And he was like, yeah, right. She's just making this up. Well, she's like, okay. They got a janitor to go up onto the roof of the Hartford Hospital. Mm -hmm. And they found a red shoe. 
Another way to prove that near-death experiences are real is that people who may be blind in real life have different vision or those who have regular sight will have super normal vision during a near-death experience. So there was a study done by Dr. Kenneth Ring, who I mentioned earlier, and it included 31 blind or substantially visually impaired individuals who had near-death experiences. 14 of them had been blind from birth. The investigation presented case reports of those born totally blind that described in their near-death experiences that they were highly visual with content consistent with typical near-death experiences. So they're experiencing the same things. They're describing picturesque you know, landscapes and things like that that they've never I've, seen. I've never thought about that when we were talking about children. Mm-hmm. You know, so speaking of that, I have an illustration of a following near death experience that actually happened to a little girl named Marta. She was five years old and she was blind and she walked into a lake mm-hmm. and slowly drowned. Basically, Aww. she was breathing in the water and she became unconscious. She said a beautiful lady dressed in bright white light pulled me out. She said the lady looked into my eyes and asked me what I wanted I was unable to think of anything until it occurred to me to travel around the lake I wanted to see for the first time. Oh, as I did so, I saw detail that I would not have seen in real life. I was legally blind, but for the first time, I was able to see leaves on trees, birds, feathers, birds, eyes. She was like, I was seeing far better than anyone with 20-20 vision. Can you imagine having that? Okay, first of all, thank you for letting her have a good Yes. <laughs> no that child should have a negative. Cruel. Right. But can you imagine then waking up and having experienced all of that and, you know, and the you wake up blind again, the sensory, everything that you do in real life. Right. And then you're right. going back and it's darkness. But she knows there's something better after life. Well, maybe for so her it, gives it her was hope. inspiration. You I know? think I, I would I, like to think of yeah. it that way. Yeah. They did a survey for those who were not blind and they said describe your vision during your near-death experience compared to your everyday vision the majority over 70 percent of them said that it was much more clear they had a wider field of vision brighter colors more depth perception everything seemed so much more colorful and brighter than normal My vision was greatly increased. I was able to see things as close or as far as I needed. It was almost like they were able to auto zoom like a camera. That's how Mm. their eyes would work. I could see above. I could see below on my right, on my left. I could see everywhere at the same time. I just imagine a chameleon with their eyes just like (laughs) it would be awesome. I like going in a loop around. This does make you want to have a near death experience. (laughs) It does. But I think the thing is, is like this is us outside of these bodies. It's true. And so we choose to come down here and be limited and stay and, here and find mm-hmm. the joy and love and all the struggles the human experience. and the human experience. Mm-hmm. So another line of evidence that near-death experiences are truly real is that they happen even while under general anesthesia. So under general anesthesia, it should not be possible to have any kind of memories. If anyone has had surgery, you go under, it's complete blackness. And so prior studies using the EEG and imaging of the brain of patients under general anesthesia provides substantial evidence that when your brain is anesthetized, I think I said that right, you should not be able to produce any memories. That's usually a side effect of any anesthesia is amnesia. Hmm. 
Hmm. not being in any kind of dream state. So most people are in surgery under anesthesia, like because they're dying, cardiac arrest, things like that should not be able to recall anything. So as previously Hmm. discussed, following cardiac arrest, the EEG becomes flat in 10 to 20 seconds, and there's usually amnesia prior to and following the arrest. So I have an example, and this happened to someone who was under general anesthesia during surgery for a heart valve replacement. So scary. They said, during my surgery, I felt myself lift from my body and go above the operating table. The doctor told me later that they had kept my heart open and stopped for a long time. And they had a great amount of difficulty getting my heart started again. That must have been when I left my body because I could see the doctors nervously trying to get my heart going. It was strange to be so detached from my physical body. I was curious about what they were doing, but I wasn't concerned. As I drifted further away, I saw my father at the head of the table. He looked up at me, which gave me a surprise because he had been dead now for almost a year. Oh. However, I felt like it was all going to be okay Yeah, and had no sense of fear. So Dr. Bruce Grayson, the one that I've mentioned several times, he did a collection of near-death experiences and he found 22% occurred while under general anesthesia and they included the same features. Most of them would be out-of-body experiences. They would be able to watch medical personnel working on their bodies. However, once again, near-death experiences while under general anesthesia are medically unexplainable. So another interesting study has been on near-death experiences in young children. So when they investigate near-death experiences in very young children, it's important because at an early age, they're less likely to have established religious beliefs. They don't understand much about death or even awareness about like what happens, things like that. Their near-death experiences can actually give us more evidence perhaps than an adult. So they did a study group and the average age was 3.6 years old. It has often been supposed that NDEs of very young children will have a content limited to their vocabulary. Mm. However, in the study, it was clear that the age of children at the time of their near-death experience did not in any way determine its complexity. Even children who were pre, like not really talking yet, reported quite complex experiences. Yeah. So very young children have near-death experience content that is strikingly similar to older children and adults. So they're describing the same exact things that we'd hear from adults about the tunnels, seeing, as I mentioned before, like deceased, they wouldn't know it, but they would meet people that they didn't know, but they felt loved and they would come back and say, oh, this really nice lady or man was there or there were these animals. There was light. I felt loved. Mm -hmm. So they feel like that's further evidence, especially looking at these young children that NDEs are occurring and that they happen, you know, despite what we would put on there about like cultural beliefs, religious training, or even awareness of the existence of near-death experiences. Right. You, You can't understand why a kid would come up with these crazy stories after, you know, no, dying. I mean, like there's literally no societal social pressures. They're little children. Right. To me, they're the and, most credible witnesses. And they're just recounting what they experience. And they themselves probably do not know that it's separate from what they're saying right then and there. You know, right. like this is what I just did. Definitely credible. So the final piece of evidence that researchers use in describing why near death experiences are real is the after effects and how it changes the person. Some of the best evidence for NDE specific after effects come from the largest prospective NDE study ever reported. 
This study conducted was conducted by Pim Van Lommel, and he divided survivors of cardiac arrest into a group that had near-death experiences and a group that did not. The after effects of both groups were assessed two and eight years later after their cardiac arrests. The survivors that had near-death experiences were statistically more likely to have a reduced fear of death. They had an increased belief in life after death. They had an interest in the meaning of life. They were more accepting of others. They were also more loving and empathic than they had been previously. Okay. The after effects may be so substantial that NDEers may seem to be completely different people to their loved ones and family. It's remarkable that near-death experiences often occur during only seconds to minutes of unconsciousness, yet commonly result in a substantial and lifelong transformation in people's beliefs and values once they've experienced it. And it makes so much sense that someone would just change in their families. Like, I don't know you anymore. It is. Especially if it was something, they were living some kind of negative lifestyle and they're choosing to improve in some way and their family only knows them. Yes. Maybe as Jackass Steve or whatever. And now he's being <laughs> now he's good Steven. Awesome. I don't know. <laughs> you know, something like that. So in talking about the after effects, I want to go back to Bruce Grayson. He will sometimes ask the partners of those who have gone through a near-death experience to describe their partners before and after the event. And many of them will say, this isn't the person I married. This is someone Mm. different. Yeah. It's usually positive. They're like, okay, they see a purpose in life they didn't see before and they want to change how they were doing life. Essentially they grow in love. So most Near-death experiencers Yay, grow in love, love. compassion. <laughs> they have higher self-esteem. Yeah. As I mentioned before, they tend to become more spiritual and less religious. Good. They lose all fear of death. And they have this like sense of being loved unconditionally. Like they can do nothing wrong. They don't want to do things wrong, but they feel like. Because it's, it's not just no, it's no longer from a person. Yeah. It's from the earth. It's from the grass. It's from the trees. It's from they the, just feel, the sky, the clouds, uh, I, and all these extra spirits and beings around them. And so they're constantly inundated. Right. In love. I like this comment. They say, near-death experiencers realize all that really matters in life is to love and to learn. Yeah. That's why we're here. Exactly. Like That's why I get so mad when I let every day stressors come in like bring and you down. start to affect me and there's always going to be shitty stuff shitty that shitty shit but mm-hmm. i'll get over it in five minutes and i'll find the good in that i think that right then and there so that i can move on with my life and i'm like well this was meant to something this was is meant teaching to happen, me something think this about is it teaching me something it's to learn right we're learning something through the struggles and i think that is probably the reason that some of these people are sent back with these near-death experiences. I feel like they are brought back to tell these stories Mm -hmm. for us to learn and listen to. If we didn't have these stories, even you and I talking right now, would we be able to narrate life in the same way and have the same thoughts and experiences beyond this life if we did not have NDE stories told to us over the years? I feel like there's a purpose for some people and you know, only 10 to 20 percent of people who go through near death come back with these stories. And we can take that. And there's actually a whole book I will put in the show notes that talks about how to use these experiences in your everyday life and think like somebody who's gone through the near death 
experience and I thought it was a really powerful okay. book. Okay, I, I was waiting until you're done. I was like, go use these experience. I'm like, no, don't go near death yourself. Right, just use what they bring use back. Use what someone has given as information. Yes, believe okay. it and Got use it. it. Don't go try to have a Read the story, then go lucid dream and then come out it of could the be. lucid dream and then do things a little bit differently. So to go back to the after effects, once again, we're talking about changes can be so profound that people feel like an entirely different person. I have a really sweet story to share. And this will be my last story of the episode. And this was from a man and he was described as hard driving, no nonsense business type of guy. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, the guy that would call his family every night and say, I'm going to be late because I'm at the office working. So he had a heart attack because that happens when you're overworked. Right. And he was revived. And he said, the first thing I saw when I awoke from my near death experience in the hospital was a flower. Mm. And I cried. Believe it or not, I had never really seen a flower until I came back from death. One big thing I learned when I died was that we are all part of one big living universe. If we think we can hurt another person or another living thing without hurting ourselves, we are sadly mistaken. Right. I look at a forest or a flower or a bird now and I say, that is me. That is part of me. Oof. If you see someone and you give them a positive, like you compliment them, they're most likely going to take that on to another person. But if you see someone and you're like, you fucking cut me off in traffic, you're an asshole, honk, 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 and flip them off. Right. They're going to start doing that to the next. Like it, it is this cycle. It is like, just take a moment. Like even if you don't, if you're not in the mood, be kind to someone else, compliment them, just something different, something kind. And it will manifest more kindness yes in your day and if you can just start to do those things you'll start to see like how much positivity you're putting into the world just by these tiny fucking little things and we need that more than ever right now that was my takeaway from near-death experiences to me it is like you said it's just be kind think about others think about everything not just people and not just animals, any living being on this earth. So that includes trees, grass, oh my gosh. plants, flowers. So in conclusion, I hope that bringing this information to you helps convince those who may be skeptical that there is more than just this life. I think there's a very real possibility that we experience more after death. I think personally, it's going to be a positive thing. I do believe in and want to continue to believe in the thought of the one universe, the full, you know, light beings. And, you know, I'm laughing a little bit. Why? Because I'm trying to imagine life with God or angels and other things. And I'm trying to imagine this expansive, expansive space that never fucking ends and multiple universes and multiple galaxies and multiple planets and multiple species it is beyond anything we could ever understand yeah so unfortunately none of us will know what is truly happening after death until it's our time yep so all we have are these sneak peeks from those who have experienced it to learn from and really take and do what we want to with for now as we talked about just be kind and (laughs) be kind I would love to hear 
from some of you listeners who perhaps have experienced a near-death experience. Yes. Or knows someone who has gone through an NDE. We'd love to include those on our lab reports. Lab reports. I hope you enjoyed hearing about near-death experiences. I really really did enjoy it. I never thought we were going to go this deep. But this was a really deep episode. It is. And it's hard not to... But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted we wanted to, talk to about bring this life's light. biggest questions, you know. And we're just like I said in the first episode. I think we're just fucking making it all up. We're just trying to figure this shit out for ourselves, right? I kind of wanted to be that one guy you mentioned who, instead of experiencing or having a life review, he experienced the emotions of the people around him experiencing yeah. him. Yeah. That would be quite life changing. Absolutely. Like to know. And and it wasn't just him. That was the one story I pulled. But there were several mm. many stories of people saying that they felt the emotions and every like unkind act or right. even thoughts that they had towards people. They felt how that affected I even others. S- I even stop myself when I'm thinking a kind thought about another person. Where'd that come from? Because usually it's more about you than it is about them. Yeah, it's always more about you. And the same thing is if they're treating you another way, stop and remember that it is about them in that moment. And not you. How they're they're approaching life literally in that very moment is how they also treat you. Here we are getting (laughs) into like deep cosmic questions and you guys just thought you were listening to True Crime and Paranormal. Thank you all for listening. As I said, we would love to hear from you. Please send stories. We have an email that you can send your stories to. That is lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. You can also mail us at our P.O. Box. It is P.O. Box 251 East Lake, Colorado 80614. This information is on our socials. I think we have it listed on Instagram. Yes. But we are on Instagram. TikTok, Facebook, uh, and YouTube. Yes. So find us there all under Lucid Lab Podcast, all one word. Yep. Don't forget our, oh, I'm remembering this time. Don't forget our Patreon. Yes. Um, we are trying to do as much as we can there. And we're, yes, we, we have big really plans. are trying to get everything set up. And all of your support is really, really, really appreciated. So much. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and the ones to come. And we're planned out. Okay. We're planned out through the end of this year. We are. So either you stay to like us or you stay to hate us. I don't know. (laughs) But I think this episode should gear you towards love. Loving us. Love us. (laughs) We love you. We do. Bye.